0: We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4 verses 38 and 39, just two verses, and the title of my sermon is Jesus Rebuked a Fever, but I want to give you a little recap before we look at those two verses. A brief recap from last week's sermon, Jesus was in a synagogue last week and he rebuked an evil spirit and commanded the evil spirit to come out of a man. It was seen in that passage that we looked at last week that the demon acknowledged the Lord's humanity when he called him Jesus of Nazareth. And also he acknowledged the divinity of Jesus when he called him the Holy One of God. When Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, he commanded him to hold his peace. In other words, to be quiet and to come out of the man. Today we'll see what happened when Jesus left the synagogue and he went into the home of Simon, his apostle. We'll, look at, we'll read verses 38 and 39 of Luke chapter 4. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Although the Lord Jesus Christ had finished his teaching in the synagogue, and also, as we've just seen, he cast out a demon in that synagogue, his ministry to the afflicted was by no means over that day. We see that to be the case when he entered Simon's house, and even prior to going into the synagogue, Jesus had already preached his Sermon on the Mount, to his disciples. That was followed by his healing of a leper and that was followed by the healing of a centurion servant. You may be familiar with that passage. Jesus didn't even go to where the servant was. He healed him from afar. And whenever I think of that passage, it just reminds me of Jesus who is now in heaven and he is still able and willing to heal people from afar, to reach down and to heal them from the, the not so much the leprosy, something far worse than that, sin. But anyway, you see that Jesus, he had a busy day, to say the least. And it was all part of a day's work coming into Simon Peter's house uh, for the Son of Man who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. To avoid any confusion, the man referred to as Simon in verse 38 is the Apostle Peter. Okay, it's one and the same person. Anyway, inside Peter's house was his mother-in-law who, according to Mark chapter 1 and verse 30, or chapter 4 and verse 30, lay sick of a fever. No, I was right then, looking at Mark chapter 1 and verse 30, the, the same account is in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1 verse 30, she lays sick of a fever. However, Luke, who according to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, was a physician, more fully describes her affliction, not just as a fever, but as a great fever. What that great fever was, we're not told. It may well have been life-threatening. Certainly it was serious enough for Peter and the others in the house to beseech the Lord Jesus Christ for her. In other words, they prayed for her as we might pray for someone who is very sick. Their prayer was answered when Jesus stood over her and he rebuked the fever and the fever left her. The voice that rebuked the great fever is the same voice that cast out a demon in verse 35 when Jesus rebuked it and said, Hold thy peace and come out of him. Also there was that time when Jesus and his disciples were on a ship crossing over the Sea of Galilee. Even though many of his disciples were, were fishermen and they, were, they must have been used to rough conditions on the sea. But on that occasion they were fearful that they might die, that they might drown. And they woke Jesus up, he was in the, the back of the ship sleeping and they woke him up and they said, Lord, do you not care that we perish? On that occasion the Lord rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased And there was great calm. Following that, the disciples remarked, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this, eh? What's the answer to that? That even the wind and the sea obey him? The incarnate Son of God, yeah? He's the man who is, as God, have made all things. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Mark chapter 1 verse 31 tells us that Jesus came and took her by the hand, Peter's mother-in-law, and he lifted her up. They are the same hands that washed the dirty and dusty feet of his apostles. They are the same hands that touched a leper, as he said to him, be thou clean. Can you imagine that? Jesus, the son of God, touching a a leper. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and it puts me to shame. I can remember, when I lived in India, sometimes I'd walk past lepers in the street, and pretend I hadn't even seen them. I'd conveniently look the other way. Jesus, he stopped And he put his hand upon a leper. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10, the writer tells us in language that accommodates our imagination, accommodates our way of thinking, that the Son of God laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of his hands. That's how the the writer to the Hebrews put it the heavens are the work of his hands the same hands that were nailed to the wooden cross when Jesus sacrificially laid down his life as an atonement for sin let's look at verse 39 in Luke chapter 4 he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Note in verse 39, that immediately she arose, and ministered unto them. How typical it was, and how typical it still is, that when Jesus intervenes directly, and Jesus heals, there is no delay, there is no five-day course of antibiotics, no no operating theatres, No physio, no nothing. It's instant healing with Jesus, isn't it? It was immediate healing for Simon Peter's mother-in-law. That's very different from when I had a high fever when I was in India over 20 years ago. Far from being healed immediately, I was put in solitary, kept away from everyone else and put on a drip for a few days There are many other examples of immediate healing from the Lord Jesus Christ, such as when he touched the leper and said to him, Be thou clean. We're told that immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And there was a time when a man named Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, his body began to stink. In other words, he was going through decomposition Even so, at the command of Jesus, Jesus delayed his coming there. He had his reasons for coming, that God would be glorified. When finally, Jesus did arrive, and he went to the tomb where where Lazarus lay, and he said, so Jesus spoke, he said, Lazarus, come forth, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Again, I mean, we're not told, but you can imagine there was no delay there. Jesus didn't stand there waiting and waiting until finally Lazarus appeared. He came out of that tomb still bound with the grave clothes. And again, we're not told, but I feel certain that when the grave clothes were removed, that four days of decomposition had been re- reversed. And he was restored to the condition before he died. Reasonable, eh? When Jesus brings about healing. He doesn't do things by half. Still on the subject of Jesus touching people when he healed them, that clearly demonstrates that God is not a distant God. And that God is not uncaring. We see that with the leper. Touching the leper with compassion and with love. He is very much a hands-on God who visits individuals with tenderness, with love, with compassion. Sometimes on television, you may have seen our political leaders wearing borrowed white white coats and getting alongside the common people in hospital wards. Needless to say, they have camera crews in tow. It's a photo shoot, normally at election time. Perhaps I'm not alone in thinking that it's one big publicity stunt. But what we have in Simon Peter's house is a sinlessly genuine and sincere and selfless Outpouring a pure, unadulterated love and compassion from the heart of Almighty God. Let's look at verse 39 again. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Although there was no delay in Simon Peter's mother-in-law being healed, That word immediate, it actually refers to the mother-in-law, his mother-in-law ministering unto the people in the house or serving them. She did that immediately after the fever had left her. That begs the question, why might you pray for healing? We all pray for healing, whether it's for others or for ourselves. Why? I notice that sometimes, I speak for myself of course, the, the prayer can be very clumsy, to say the least, when I'm praying for healing. Because I need to be clear in my own head, why am I praying for healing here? And I think we all need to think that. We need to pray intelligently, and that's why I say we need to be clear in our head. We need to be people who pray intelligently, and part of that is, when we pray for healing, why are we praying for healing? What's it all about? Why might you pray for healing? Could it be so that you are well enough for that holiday that you booked? Or so that you'll be fit enough to play footy or to get round the golf course at the weekend? How about so that you are well enough to minister to the brethren as unto your saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to do so as soon as possible after healing. We have the example here of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She arose immediately and ministered unto those who were in the house. This is after having a high fever. By way of application, we can consider spiritual healing. Look again at our two verses, only two of them. Verse 38 and 39. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever. And they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Again let me remind you that according to Mark chapter 1 verse 31 Jesus took Peter's mother-in-law by the hand and he lifted her up and immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto them. That's a wonderful picture of sinners being raised up to newness of life and receiving forgiveness for all their sins. As the hymn writer said, In loving kindness Jesus came, my soul in mercy to reclaim, and from the depths of sin and shame through grace he lifted me. From sinking sand he lifted me. With tender hand he lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light oh praise his name, he lifted me. Just as there was no delay when the fever came out of Peter's mother-in-law, there's no delay when repentant sinners receive forgiveness and every other spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I trust that's the case. Think back to when you were saved, whenever that was. you saved, did you take a bit of time out? Maybe I have to get that holiday over and done with, back to holidays again. Or whatever it was, before you started being a Christian. I doubt it. There's no delay. When you you receive spiritual healing, when you are raised up, born from above, born again by the Holy Spirit, when you're made a new creature in Christ, Old things passed away, behold, all things becoming new. Can you see there cannot be any delay i'm i'm emphasizing that because f- for one thing the bible teaches nothing about going on a course to become a christian it teaches nothing about going on an alpha course to become a Christian, where after week one, this is where you're at, week two, something else has happened, week three, something else, I think by week four, you've received the Spirit, and so it goes on, and then finally, at the end of your course, I don't know if you get your little certificate, stamped of course, saying that you are now a Christian, no courses, Jesus touches you, he lifts you up, and he heals you, It's immediate healing. Can you imagine the joy in Peter's house amongst all who had besought Jesus for his mother-in-law who had that great fever? By way of application, there is unspeakable joy amongst those who have been earnestly praying for someone's salvation when finally, by the grace of God, that person receives Jesus as a repentant sinner and believes in his name. When I finally became a Christian, it, it really touched me to find out that the church where I was, they'd all been praying for me. I had no idea. They'd all been praying earnestly for me, crying up to heaven, beseeching God for me, and I found all that out when finally I received Jesus as my Lord and my Saviour. And there was unspeakable joy in that church when finally Glenn received Jesus as his saviour from sin. And of course, there was a lot of joy for me as well, I can tell you that. I can remember when I had that assurance of sins forgiven. I'm being a bit careful here not to say that when I became a Christian, I don't really know anymore. I'm 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 through with pinpointing the time when I became a Christian, but I can nevertheless remember the joy that filled my heart at knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I could I, I could have told the the whole world the whole world from the highest mountain and from the rooftops that Jesus was my Lord and Savior. Talk about joy! Greatest joy I've ever experienced having that assurance of salvation. A real joy. Amazing joy. So joy from people who beseech the Lord for you, and then joy from you when you become a Christian, when finally, by the grace of God, you receive Jesus, you've stopped kicking against the pricks, you've stopped um, rebelling against God, You've acknowledged your sins and you've confessed your sins and Jesus has saved you from your sins. There's joy. But also, according to Luke chapter 15 and verse 10, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. I'll read that again and it's worth looking at it. Luke 15 verse 10. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one uh, sinner that repenteth. Okay. Clearly that's talking about angels there but in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, sinner that repenteth. Concerning that verse of scripture it has been said that we get a glimpse of God himself. Rejoicing with his elect and his angels over the salvation of a single sinner. All in all, there's a lot of rejoicing there, isn't there? Let's go through it again. Those who have been praying for the the lost sinner rejoice when that sinner receives Christ as his Saviour. That forgiven sinner rejoices as well. Also, joy in the presence of the angels in heaven. And I think that um, commentator who said that, what he said there was right. Who's in the presence of the angels? You've got the angels themselves, you've got the elect of God, the departed saints who are in heaven, and you've got God himself. Why leave out God? Rejoicing over one sinner that comes to repentance. A lot of joy over one person being saved from their sins. So again, I can, if you can imagine the joy in Simon Peter's house, they besought the Lord Jesus who'd come into the house. They besought the Lord for Peter's mother-in-law who had not just a fever, but a high fever, presumably a very dangerous, maybe life-threatening fever. He put his hand upon her, he raised her up. He rebuked the fever and she was healed. There must have been joy there. Joy from the people in the house who'd been beseeching the Lord for her. Joy from Peter's mother-in-law over being healed. And she was able to get on with ministering, which he did immediately. Serving them in that house. A very real joy. How much... More so when someone is healed from that leprosy of the soul, sin. And we can see in Acts chapter 8 an example of someone who rejoiced having been forgiven all his sins. I want to read the whole passage to you. Anyway, so I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 8. I think a lot of this, this, what we read in the scriptures will only really impact upon you if you realise that this can be a present reality. Don't just read it as a history book, the Bible it's god's book it's spiritual and it's uh, the word the, the word of god is living it's powerful read it prayerfully and 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 my certainly when i read the scriptures to you in here my prayer is that that word will hit you like a sledgehammer where it needs to and and impact upon you for, in a, in a, eternally and for your eternal benefit. Okay. Acts chapter 8, verse 32. What was happening here was that there was an Ethiopian eunuch, he'd been to worship, to, to worship, presumably to worship God, but uh, he didn't really know God. Although he'd been to worship, he didn't know God because he didn't know the Son of God. He was on his way back home to Ethiopia and the evangelist, Philip, was sent by the Holy Spirit to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. And we'll take it from verse 32. The place of the scripture which he read, which Philip the evangelist read, was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth and the eunuch answered Philip and said, "I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this uh, whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or of some other man?" Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So, sorry, I got that wrong, didn't I? The eunuch had been reading that. He didn't know who he was reading about there, who was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And he asked the evangelist, Philip, who's this about? And, uh, and then verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptised? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart that thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. Look, look at this bit now. And he went on his way rejoicing. That's the eunuch. He went on his way rejoicing, having believed, having, having been baptised. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities, till he came to Caesarea so you see that man there on his way home to um, Ethiopia reading a prophecy that prophecy was written over 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God came into the world as the Lamb of God and Philip the evangelist explained it all to him what that scripture was all about that prophecy He believed. And he was baptized and he went away rejoicing. Clearly, there is joy. No wonder that eunuch rejoiced. He'd just been delivered from captivity to sin, Satan, and death. He had just been transferred by God from darkness to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was no longer an enemy of God. He'd just been set at liberty to serve and to glorify God as a child of God through faith in his saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder he rejoiced. The joy that that Ethiopian eunuch had, is the portion of all who are trusting in Jesus, all who are clothed in his righteousness. Again, it's not just some, a piece of history that we're reading there. This is the present reality for all who are trusting in Christ. As the prophet Isaiah said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with his ornaments with with ornaments, as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. And as was seen some weeks back now, in Luke chapter one and verse forty seven, Mary, the mother of Jesus, what is it she said? My spirit have rejoiced in God my Saviour. As we come to a close, what are you to do now if you have never experienced the joy of being delivered from the guilt and the penalty of your sin? Do you pray and get others to pray that Jesus would rebuke and cast out your sin with his powerful voice? Not at all. Jesus doesn't rebuke and cast out sins. He rebuked and cast out the evil spirit from the man in the synagogue. He rebuked and cast out the the, the, the high fever from Peter's mother in law. But what he did do about two thousand years ago was even more amazing. He took the guilt and the punishment of sinners upon himself at the cross and he redeemed them with his own precious blood therefore what remains for you to do is to be baptized having shown repentance towards God having trusted in his dear son the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all your sins and for your acceptance before a holy and righteous God amen